following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. Happy New Year. We had an over-under of who would be in church today, and uh, you went on the over, so good job. Uh, We're really proud of you. You're on the over, uh, which is cool. Um, Thanks for being with us. We're glad that you're you're hanging out with us this morning. Happy New Year. Uh, what a great spot to be in, to worship Christ together on New Year's Day. I mean, what a cool thing. Kind of set our, our, our minds attuned to the things of God. So let's go ahead and open our Bibles. Uh, let me tell you what page to go to. Page 1. Okay? We're going to go to Genesis chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, we are going to start today on 1-1, a sermon on 1-1, uh, leading us into the book of Genesis. Um, and we, we are thrilled to do this. Our Genesis will be our main book of study for a while. Uh, right now, there's, if you do your math, there's about 50 chapters in the book of Genesis. We've got about 40 sermons, a little over 40 sermons planned. Before you panic and you think, oh my word, we're going to be in Genesis from now to eternity. Um, that's not the case. What we are going to do this year will be fun is we're going to go through the book of Genesis. As we see some things in Genesis, we're going to pull out of Genesis and just talk about it. Um, but also we're going to take the summer and we're going to look at some summer Psalms again and just spend some time in Psalms. We're going to have a great year of studying God's word together. So today's the day we're going to jump right into it. Let me tell you why we're doing this series um, and why we're jumping into Genesis. I mean, it doesn't take long to just realize as you look around your world that your culture is changing rapidly, right? I mean, there, there are things that used to be a given or the norm that are just eroding around us. And just honestly, things have been eroding for quite some time. Um, I'm, you know, I know some of you have thought, man, things just seem like they're getting weird. Um, they've just sped up since 2020. Things have just gotten faster. Um, and it's, and it's the pace of changes quickened. Everything from <clears throat> what is life about? Who are we as humans? Uh, if you are not paying attention right now to the whole artificial intelligence phase of life, you better be. Um, and the reason for that is because AI is beginning to come on the scene and to do things that humans were used to doing that are no longer needed to be doing. And so the question of why are we even around, why do we exist, is going to be coming to the forefront, and it's coming to you rapidly. And it's certainly coming to your children. And so we've got to be keeping our eye on that. The purpose of life is their gender Ideology, gender roles, those things are questioned. Relational flourishing, what makes for relationships to really flourish and have peace in them? How do we relate with God? And do we even need to relate with God? Sexual ethics, business ethics, political etiquette, uh, just a simple basic understanding of civility, right? I mean, the basic things of how we do life and how we treat one another is important and those things are eroding around us the world around us is asking questions about most of these things challenging most of them to some degree to the point that the things that we used to think were normal are at worst right now considered evil like that's the problem or at best they're considered just ill-informed and from a bunch of ignorant people that don't even know what they're talking about that's the world you're living in and the rise of social media has made the pace of information gathering speed up, and with it then 
Cultural ideas and norms can change quickly as well. I mean, a, a thing that would happen in the world stage 30 years ago, it had taken us three weeks to hear about that. Now you get it in about three seconds. And it's on your phone or it's given to your kid or it's on a TikTok video in short time and it's right in your face. The rise of technology and the ease with which we can advance information, whether that's true or false information, and the readily available screens that are in front of us all the time. I mean, you can't, you can't go anywhere without seeing a screen somewhere or the cliche, there's an app for that, right? You, you can get information stuff. It just makes cultural change quicker than ever. And it just happens at a pace that is really just mind blowing. And, and really all social media has become is just a vehicle and information gathering. It's just a vehicle to get information more quickly and cultural transformation to happen more rapidly than we ever could dream. Some things are good. Some things are not so good. And so the question that for us as Christians that should be driving us, it should be like at the forefront of our thinking is not what does society have to say about these issues? The question should be, what does God say? I mean, what is at the forefront of God's mind? I mean, a, a social media post, and to be honest with you, could, could seem right to us. We could see it, read it, we retweet it, or we repost it, and thousands of people click it and think it's really good. But we could look at it from the, the lens of the inspired Word of God, and it could be wrong. These are questions we have to start asking. We've got to think about it more. A cultural trend might be the direction for other people, but the question would be, is that that the direction for God's people? That's why we need the book of Genesis. That's why we're going to spend some time in the book of Genesis, because we need this book. Genesis takes us back to the beginning of time and gets us to ask this question. How did God set all of this up? How did God put things into place? What, why did He do what He did? What does God have to say about the issues of our world that we see today? Not, not, listen, not how we feel about the issues of our world and not how we feel what is right or true, but what does God say objectively from His Word that you and I have no wiggle room out of? What does He say? Because what he says matters, and to be quite honest with you, as we're going to see through the book of Genesis, what he says and living by what he says creates the most room for human flourishing in this world. And as we're going to see, the book of Genesis is the book of origins. It's the book of beginnings. You're going to find every major doctrine you'd find in the Bible, you're going to find in the book of Genesis. God, humanity, gender, Sexual ethics, covenant relationships with God and with others, marriage, family, interpersonal relationships, forgiveness from God and reconciliation with others, wisdom in business, and how to lead people. All those things are found in the book of Genesis and more. That's what we're going to see in the book of Genesis. It's a remarkable book, and you're going to see every major doctrine that you would see in your Bible, you're going to find it in the book of Genesis. So in our first sermon this morning, we're going to do something we're not going to do in the other sermons. We're going to cover one verse, right? Uh, the other ones, we're going to cover large sections of Scripture. We're going to take on chapters at a time, 
and we're going to look at this thing in, in a holistic point of view. And then if we see something that we want to pull out of, we're going to pull out, take a look at it for a bit, and see what God has to say in other parts of the Bible about that particular issue. But today, we're going to look at one verse. And here's what I hope we're going to learn out of this one verse. This is in your outline. This will be the big idea. It'll come up on the screen for you. And here's, it's very simple. It's a good way to start the year. God is the creator of all things. Our lives are to be centered on God and live for His glory. Very simple. God is the creator of all things and our lives are to be centered on God and lived for His glory. So stand with me. We're going to read one verse so you know you won't be standing long. All right? Genesis chapter 1. <clears throat> and after all the food you ate last night, you're grateful to be standing. Right? Genesis 1. 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Father, we come to you in the opening line of Scripture and we need your help. Reveal to us the wonder of who you are and how you've made us to worship you. So Lord, help the hearers and help the preacher. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's start by looking at the first point in your outline, which is the importance of origins. You know, every great book, speech, or poem has a memorable beginning. Things you'll remember, right? The U.S. Constitution begins with, We the people of the United States. We all know that. The Declaration of Independence and its preamble has this statement that you, we all know. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. That we are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What about the Gettysburg Address? Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth upon this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Or this one. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> I'll tell you where my, my heart goes, right? George Orwell's notoriously prophetic book, 1984. Listen to this beginning. It was a bright, cold day in April, and the clocks were striking 13. In other words, things seem awfully confusing. Does that sound like today a little bit? See, each beginning of a book, a speech, a drama is intended to set the stage for the content of the book. It's no different in the book of Genesis. The author Moses is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he gives us an unforgettable opening line, does he not? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But beginnings or origins don't just set the stage for the content of the book. They also basically show us like the original design. Why were things the way they are, right? I mean, some of you are parents and you, maybe you've 
you remember these moments with your kids? Maybe it just happened with you with your kids. You bought that Lego set you could not wait to get to your kid. Right? You know, you know the one. I'll just use one that was in my era, the Millennium Falcon. I mean, it's got 25,000 pieces, right? And you pull out the, the, the directions and you begin to piece by piece put this thing together. You get the whole Millennium Falcon put together with your kid and it takes you hours upon end to get this thing done. You finally get this thing completed. You stand back in awe. You put it on your kid's shelf and you just have a moment of worship. Like, look at what we have created. And look at the design of this beauty. Han Solo would be impressed. And then you go off to help your wife with the kitchen, in the, all the cooking for the Christmas dinner, and you come back just a few hours later to notice that your son has broken it all apart. He has taken all the pieces that were 25,000 of them and put them into his Lego box with all of the rest of the Legos that you bought four years ago, and you're like, original design is destroyed, right? I mean, that's what it feels like. When you pull something out of the box, the, the origin gives you the original design. I mean, some of you are old enough to know this moment, and you know these things as you've watched things transpire in your world. I mean, who around us does not long for the days of the original Coke in a bottle, a glass bottle of all things, right, that had a certain amount of sugar and syrup to it, that, it, yes, it's bad for your health, but it is remarkably good. This Coke Zero stuff, what is that? It is not the original design. Origins, origins mean something. The origins matter. Origins reveal the purpose of the content we're about to read or see, but they also reveal the design for which something was made. Origins reveal, in a sense, they reveal default settings or the original settings. Origins are important. Well, consider with me the book of Genesis as the book of origins. How did God set up this world? Why did God set up this world the way that He set it up? What is the default set? What's the original setting? That's what you're going to see in the book of Genesis. What is the original purpose for our relationship with God? And did God make it possible for us to have a relationship with Him? What about with one another? What makes for human flourishing and human relationships to work together in unity to actually build civilizations? What is the original design of our individual genders? Why did God make us man and woman? Why do pronouns matter? Why do they matter to God's intent on your life? How did God originally design language and business and covenant promises? We're going to talk about this word covenant as we get through the Bible to see how God relates with us as humans on the basis of covenantal promises that God said He will keep until the very end. What does God's Word say about these? How are these things originally designed? See, this is why we need to go back to the book of Genesis. This is in, it's invaluable in its importance to us to understand origins. But that also means then there's enormous value and importance in Genesis 1.1. See, that's our second point. When I was in Bible college, um, I had an Old Testament professor. His name was Dr. Gary Galliotti. We uh, affectionately called him Dr. Judgment. Because all he taught was the Old Testament. 
And this guy thundered from the lectern. I mean, he was a pronounced presence when he stood up in the lectern to begin to open his Bible to whatever it may be to say to us, Preacher boys, today from Isaiah chapter 6, we will discuss the holiness of God. And you all just felt this like, oh, God has entered the room, right? Well, in our first class on Genesis, Dr. Gary Galeotti, Dr. Judgment, took nine lessons, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, for three weeks, and he taught on Genesis 1-1. And you may say, oh my word, how boring. Could he move on? But the reason for these lengthy lectures on Genesis 1-1 was because without Genesis 1-1, nothing else in the Bible makes sense. It cannot be understated how important Genesis 1-1 is to you as a Christian. It cannot be understated to the importance of Genesis 1-1 to what we see in the biblical context. So that whether you're reading in Genesis or you're reading in John, Genesis 1-1 is going to matter to you. It's remarkably important because in Genesis 1-1, we are introduced to the God of heaven. It's obvious from this text that you notice that God in, that God invented and created and came up with the idea of the heavens and the earth. But Genesis 1-1 tells us who the most important person is in the Bible. And for a moment, I want you to notice your name is not there. Like most great speeches and books reveal to us the intent of their contents, the Bible begins with God to reveal to us that God is central to the biblical story. Interestingly, when you read Genesis chapter 1, you're going to notice there are 31 verses. In 26 of those verses, the name of God is used 30 times. God is the central Peace to all creation because He is the one who created it and He resides over the top of it and He is intricately involved in every detail in it. As we're going to see next week, God created all that we see so that all that we see is pronouncing and declaring to us the glory of God. But then two weeks down the road, we're going to see that God created us in His image as humans by our very natures, by our very genders, by our very individuality. We are revealing and representing God. So you, you cannot get outside creation without recognizing that God is the centerpiece of this. But Genesis 1-1 begins with, in the beginning, God. Now this is important because when you open the pages of the Bible you see something very clearly. You realize that this Bible, then, is not primarily about us as humans. This Bible is a book about God. The intent of the Bible is found in the opening verse of the Bible. The Bible is God's revelation about Himself. See, some of you are going to begin today on a brand new reading plan. You're going to pull up your Bible. You're going to do chronological reading. You're going to read certain parts of the Bible. You're going to start reading sections of the Bible. You're going to see certain things in the Bible. And here's the challenge with all of that. If we don't enter into the Bible with the right purpose of the Bible in mind, we will completely misunderstand the content of the Bible. Some have said that the Bible is, and it's a cute little acronym, basic instructions before leaving earth. 
It sounds cute. It sounds really reasonable. Like, yeah, that's good. I'm going to look in this book and I'm going to see how I need to live my life. But that is not the primary point of the Bible. The point of the Bible is to reveal the God of all creation. The point of the Bible is to reveal that before time began, God. The point of the Bible is to reveal in the beginning, God. In his excellent commentary, Kenneth Matthews wrote this. The opening section of Genesis introduces us to the Creator. He is the main character of the book, even all Scripture. The creation account is theocentric. That means God-centric, not creature-centric. Its purpose is to glorify the Creator by magnifying Him through the majesty of the created order. See, the point of the book is revealed in Genesis 1.1, and it is God. God is the center of this book. He is the meaning of this book. He is the point of this book. He is the purpose of this book. So if you go to the Bible without first thinking to yourself, this is a book about the revelation of God, you will completely misunderstand the whole point of the book. And because that's true, because the Bible is about God, it reveals to us some things about God. It reveals to us the God of the universe who is above and beyond all things, who is also powerful enough to create everything we see, and yet he's intricately involved in every little detail of it. In Genesis 1-1, we're introduced to the one whom the philosophers way before us called, they called the unmoved mover, the great flux, or as Acts 17 calls him, the unknown God that Paul says has made himself known. Genesis 1-1 reveals to us this unknown God has a name. It's a personal name, and his name is God. And he's revealing himself in such a way to say, I want to be known. Genesis 1-1 reveals to us the author of all things, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, and the one who wants to be known in relationship to the very creature creatures that he created. We're told in the beginning, God was there. Meaning he operates outside of time and space. Now just for a moment, process this. Sometime about midnight, some of you were up late. I was not. I'm that guy that goes to sleep about 10 and fell asleep. You woke up, you were awake about it, and the clock struck midnight. You all celebrated. And at that point in time is the only point in time you can see or live in. But that's not how God works. The omniscient, all-knowing God sees the beginning of time when he created the world and the end of time when things will all be rolled up into a history book like a scroll and our time right now, he sees them all at the same time. Because he operates above and beyond time and space. He doesn't need time and space like you and I do. We need time and space. Some of you need space because you keep putting more seats beside you so nobody will get near you. You need space. God doesn't need that kind of space. God doesn't need time to operate in. But yet he creates them for his own glory and for his own benefit and for the functioning out of his perfect will. We're told that God created the heavens and the earth, meaning Matter, like molecules and atoms and, and wind and trees and water, etc., did not exist, yet God operates outside of those things 
And God created all matter, meaning every molecule of the universe, as one man has said, every molecule, the Lord God Christ cries out and said, that one's mine. There's not one spot where the Lord God is not operating in as the creator and sustainer and ruler over all of it. He created all that matter. In a sermon on Genesis 1-1, John MacArthur said this, a well-known scientist named Herbert Spencer died in 1903. He discovered that all reality that exists in the universe could be contained in five categories. Time, force, action, space, and matter. That is a logical sequence. And then with that in mind, listen to Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, that's time. God, that's force. Created, that's action. The heavens, that's space. And the earth, that's matter. Everything that could be said about everything that exists is said in that one verse. There is remarkable importance to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. But because it's important, it's also very important to us as Christians. Specifically to our faith as Christians. You're going to notice as we go through something in a moment, the biblical writers showing us this. You're going to notice from beginning to end how the biblical writers mention God being the creator of all things. Nehemiah chapter 9 says this, You are the Lord, you alone. You made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. In the book of Isaiah The prophet said this, Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And then the Lord says of Himself in chapter 45 of Isaiah, I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens and I commanded all the host. In the book of Ephesians Paul wrote these words, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things. And in Colossians, Paul writes, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Could anything be more complete? In Hebrews chapter 11, we see by faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And then the very last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 4, says this, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And then in chapter 10, the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, this same one who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, the sea and what is in it, and there should be no more delay. From beginning to middle to end, the Bible references God's creation of the world. In other words, it is a non-negotiable to the Christian faith. It is remarkably important to your faith as a Christian that God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is why Francis Schaeffer, a Christian apologist, said this, 
Christianity is not just involved with salvation. Look, but listen to the statement. But with the total man in the total world. The Christian message begins with the existence of God forever and then with creation. It begins, it, it does not begin with salvation. We must be thankful for salvation, but the Christian message is more than that. Christianity does not begin with accepting Jesus Christ as Savior. Christianity begins with Genesis 1.1. This is why the importance of Genesis 1.1 cannot be understated. If Genesis 1.1 were not true, friends, we have lost everything. We could not trust one word we were to read in our Bibles. Its contents would be false because it would begin with a faulty premise. In the beginning, God set the stage for everything else written in this book. Without Genesis 1-1, nothing else makes sense. Wouldn't you have loved to be in those nine lectures with Dr. Gary Galliotti? So then how do we apply Genesis 1-1? What do we do with this verse? How do we, how do we wrestle it out? I mean, what do you do with this? Well, here's a few thoughts that I just want you to take home with you. The first thing is this is we can believe it or not. The reality of Genesis 1-1 is this. You, you have two choices. You believe it or you don't. See, here's the challenge of Christian preaching, and what I've noticed among my brothers that are in my field of life is that they have a tendency to think that they come to the Bible and they're going to try to then prove to the non-Christian that the Bible is true, and they're going to prove to the non-Christian all these things are true, and they do that from the pulpit with Christian people sitting in the room. The Bible was never written that way. Moses did not write Genesis as a philosophical, apologetical letter to prove the existence of God. Moses wrote this letter, and he wrote this, this writing, listen clearly, as a theological retelling of history for the people of God's benefit. He wrote it in such a way that he wanted them to see that while the pagan nations of the world around them claim pagan gods like the sun, the moon, the stars, and the sea, the God of heaven, the God of Israel, was the creator and ruler over all things. When you approach the book of Genesis, you must approach it from that perspective. This is why it was written. It was not written to be an apologetic. So when I preach this text, or we preach this text, we are going to preach it as if these things are true, and you can decide whether or not you believe it or not. We're not here to go into the science of debate, because we're not scientists. We are pastors. We are bringing to you what the truth of Scripture says, and it's the Holy Spirit's job then to do what? To convince you whether or not this is true or not. I'm just simply bringing you the news. And the news is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you can decide whether or not you believe that or not. As A.P. Ross stated in his excellent commentary, since everything that exists in the universe was made by him, God, it must therefore be under his control. The impact of this truth in the ancient world would have been staggering. It was a world plagued by the worship of false gods and challenged the, the Lord for Israel's affections and allegiance. But those gods were identified with the sun, moon, stars, animals, rivers, and a host of other things. In short, listen to this, everything that the pagans worshipped God, everything that the pagans worshipped, God had made. Consequently, their gods posed no threat to Israel 
for the creation must be subject to the creator. Now let that just settle into your minds for a moment when somebody posts a social media thing and it gets all sorts of viral videos that might go everywhere and it's completely contrary or antithetical to the Christian God. That pagan worship, whatever it may be, is underneath the supremacy and underneath the dominion of the almighty creating God of the universe. Genesis was written for the believer to encourage us to see life from a God-centered point of view. And so Genesis really does start with two options. You've got two options. You can believe it or not. In a great blog post called A Stopping Point on the Dividing Line, Travis Allen wrote these words. At the end of the day, you either look to God as the first cause or you look to something else. You're either a materialist believing the eternality of matter or a supernaturalist believing in the eternality of God. The choice you make at the beginning, very important now, your set of presuppositions, the assumptions you choose to believe, will determine what you accept as your final authority, how you look at the evidence, and what conclusions you're prepared to accept. We will either believe it, or we won't. Let me just warn those of you who may be in the room, may be listening online, that you are wrestling with your belief of Genesis 1-1. Or whether you're wrestling with your belief of, did God create the heavens and the earth? Ultimately, all rejection and denials of Genesis 1-1 are simply come down to one thing, a rejection of God's authority over all of life. Friends, this is going to be shocking to some of you who may be in school. You may be hearing this everywhere around you. But listen, all rejections of God, including evolution, did not start with the science. It started with hearts that were bent toward a God they did not like. As Romans 1 would tell us, God has given us everything around us to see that He exists And the problem with people is not that they don't believe that, it's that they suppress the truth they know to be true. Evolutionists did not like the God who was at the beginning and the God who is with us now. All rejection of the creation idea and facts is because we do not want the authority of God hanging over us. And most certainly, people don't like His rules, they don't like His ways, and they don't like His judgment. They most certainly don't like the guilt and the shame and the fear of being accountable to God whom they despise. So before you reject Genesis 1-1, let me just make it clear what you're rejecting. You're rejecting the authority of God, but by rejecting that authority does not take you out from underneath His accountability. Because you will one day give an account before God who is the authority of all things, and one day, let me be honest with you, you will believe that He exists. So where do you stand with Genesis 1-1? Do, do you, you either believe it or you won't? That's the first place to apply it. The second application to Genesis 1-1 is really for the believer. Those of us who would say, yeah, I believe in this. Then here's the second application. Then we are to live as if God is the beginning, the middle, and the end. 
We're to live as if God is the beginning, the middle, and the end. See, if we believe that God is the creator of the heavens and the earth, and we believe that he's the centerpiece of the Bible's teaching, then we, then the best way to apply Genesis 1-1 is to live life, all of our lives, as if he is the beginning, the middle, and the end of our lives. This means that we believe that he's the creator of all things, and he's the primary cause of all things. So you're looking around your world and you see some wacky stuff going on. And in your mind you go, I know God in heaven is ruling over all of this. It's a mindful understanding that God spoke and the worlds came into existence. I mean, think about that. We're going to read next week and God said and it happened. God spoke words and with power things came to life and the worlds came into existence. That means that God, this God of Genesis 1 is the final authority over all things and he's a God to be submitted to. But it also means that we individually were created by God and for God. It means that as we live, we're living by God and for God. It also means that we understand that this God in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 is the God who determines when we will breathe our last breath. None of you know that moment. But in a moment, when God determines, your death will be by God and for God. Therefore, we as Christians are to live life as God is the beginning, the middle, and the end of our lives. See, that's simply what it means to live for the glory of God. Living life as if God is the center of how you do what you do. Meaning, He's central to our time. How we spend our time, the things we look at, the things we scroll on the internet is dependent upon Him and in submission to Him. He's central to our relationships. How we care for others, love others, forgive others, reconcile with others, treat others who disrespect us is seen through the lens of God being central to all of it. It's one of the things that is mind-boggling me to me in the world of, of our lack of civility of anybody who should be civil, of anybody who should be peaceful, of anybody who should be kind and unforgiving. It should be us. Why? Because from beginning, middle to end, what do you live for? The glory of God should dominate how we do our relationship. He's central to our money and our possessions because he owns it all. I mean, think about that. God created it all. The U.S. government did not come up with treasury. They sure don't know how to handle it. Okay, it's a whole nother story, right? But the God of the universe came up with the idea of money, possessions. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and that doesn't mean a thousand and one isn't his. It means he owns them all. And therefore, he wants us to have what we have, and he's determined what we have because he is the omniscient, all-knowing God who, listen, if he wanted you to have more, he would have given it to you. But perhaps he didn't give you more because he thought giving you more would destroy you. What a kind God. He's central to our jobs and and how we serve His creation. Because as Christians, we think this way. We are serving the Lord in the jobs that we have, and we're to do those things with joy and excellence, with an understanding that in our jobs, we are serving the greater good of society. I mean, have you thought about this in your job? Teachers, you're you're serving for the greater good of society, and that glorifies God. Accountants, you're serving for the greater good of society, and that's... That's an activity that is to be seen under the lens of Almighty God. 
contractors and those that do excavation work, you understand. You're serving the greater good and you're revealing something about God at work in you. I don't know how lawyers do that, but they do, right? I mean, lawyers can do this too. You can represent God, right? Whatever it may be, you're serving with joy and excellence, with an understanding that you're serving the greater good of society. Because everything we do, we see it through the lens of God is the beginning, He's the middle, and He's the end. And the last way that we apply this in Genesis chapter 1 is to rejoice and worship in the God of creation and salvation. Friends, just for a moment here, just, just marvel at this. Since Genesis 1-1 is true, everything we read in the Bible is therefore true. Genesis 1-1 is the opening stanza where the God of the universe is personally introducing himself to you. See, some of you last night went to a party. You might have seen some people you didn't know. Maybe you went to a one of the local places, they had a, <clears throat> a band playing and you were there listening to good music and you saw a bunch of strangers in the room and you walked up to a stranger and you said to them, Hi, my name is Dave York. It's nice to meet you. And you're personally introducing yourself to them. Genesis 1-1 is God walking to that party and saying, Hi, I'm God. I created everything, including you. Genesis 1-1 is God saying, I'm here. This is who I am and I'm introducing myself. This is my name. So imagine for a moment, which is hard for us to do because we don't can't imagine without these words. Imagine that these words were never written. If these words were never written, you and I would never know who God is. We would never know that we could walk up to Crater Lake and take a nice drive, go see Crater Lake and walk in and see the beauty and the majesty and the glory of God. And so we walk up and say, wow, that's a big hole in the ground. It looks like that Tidy Bowl commercials because it's blue. Right? We go to the ocean and we go, wow, this is really cool. Look how powerful this is. You know, they shouldn't make like, I don't know, power out of this. We feel a huge storm on the horizon and go, wow, this is awfully scary. Without no connection to the God of the universe. We would be shrouded in darkness. In the beginning, God is God's way of telling us He wants to be known. It's God's way of saying, Hi, nice to meet you. And since Genesis 1, 1 is true, we can believe then what the Bible says about how to have a relationship with this God who wants to have a relationship. In Genesis, we're going to be introduced to our rebellion against God. We're going to be introduced to our sin against God and the fact that our sin and rebellion separated us from a relationship with God. But we're also going to read in the same book, That this God, this God who said in the beginning, God who introduces himself says, look, I'm not just introducing myself. You sinned against me. I'm running after you. We're going to read about this God who's made a way for us to be made right with him through a savior who came to save us. Meaning, listen, if Genesis 1, 1 is true, then friends, John 3, 16 is true. And that God so loved the world, meaning He so loved you, that He gave His only Son, so that whoever should believe in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Is that not good news? And if Genesis 1, 1 is true, then Romans 10, 9 is true, that if we believe that Jesus lived in our place, died in our place, rose again from the dead for us, and we confess that truth with our mouths and believe it in our hearts, we will be saved from our sin and the wrath of God. 
What great news! And since this way of salvation is true, because creation is true, we of all people have the greatest reason to rejoice and worship our God. I mean, just for a moment, just, just ponder. Your God, the God who created the heavens and the earth, who said, let there be light. And all of a sudden, light bulbs came on. The sun shut up. The stars dropped in place. Every molecule began to do its thing. That God, that, that God, that all-powerful God, sent a Savior and said, come to me. I want you. I love you. I'm coming after you. And that is true because your God created all things. And that is true. The God who created all things saved you so you could have a personal relationship with God. You know what that means? Tomorrow morning you're going to get up to read your Bible. Some of you will go to the coffee pot. You'll sense the Holy Spirit rising from the vapors and the smell. And you'll grab your coffee pot. You'll go to your little couch or your chair where you like to sit down. And listen, you'll open the pages of your Bible to read it. You've gone to meet God. But God will be there to meet you. All because Genesis 1-1 is true. Let's pray. Father, thank you. I I don't even know what to say besides thank you. Thank you for personally introducing yourself to us. Thank you that in your infinite wisdom, you saw fit to reveal yourself to us. I'm so glad we don't walk in darkness. (laughs) And thank you that you've made a way that we can be right with you. Father, we, we rejoice in the fact that you have created us and you have saved us. And I pray for friends that are here that, that don't know Jesus, that have not submitted to Christ, those that are online that don't know Christ. Lord, only you can convince them of these truths. Would you convince them and bring them to faith? And for those of us that do believe this truth, would you, would you elevate our affections for you? That we would enter into a new year with living life as if you're the beginning, the middle, and the end. That we would spend our days in 2023 rejoicing and worshiping in the God who created us and the God who saved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.